Welcome to episode 236 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door, and they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught, their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished, their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine. Way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say. Because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFPodcast with code IFPodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 236 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Well, I am looking at the ocean, so that is always a good thing. How is the ocean looking? It looks fabulous. I'm taking a really quick two-day trip, just two nights, which is never long enough. But our last renter of the season left, the renter that was here for a month. And so I had to come and like flip everything, get it ready just for us. So that was exciting. Can I tell you something that I have learned about seagulls? Oh, please do. You know, when you're out on the beach and you see the seagulls, you just never really know, you know, where do they live? Do they stay in the same area? They do. 
we have this one seagull that lives right here by my house that has something wrong with his leg. So like when he flies, one leg dangles down and he can't use it. When he lands, you know, you can tell he can't really bear weight on it. I have seen that same seagull all summer. And I saw him yesterday and I was so excited. Is it possible because he has an injured leg that he doesn't travel far? Well, it is possible, but he's like got his little friends and they're all together. I mean, they feel like they're a community. Yeah. So, I mean, it's totally possible. He does everything the other seagulls do, though. I mean, he flies with them. He, (laughs) They seem to be like seagull friends. He's just right there with them. One of my best friends was telling me how he had the epiphany recently that like the bird that is outside his house is the same bird. Like he thought it was like a different bird for the longest time. No, I mean, I really think that the, they they live somewhere like this bird. This is where he lives. I mean, I've seen him all. I'm saying he, it could be a she. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen him all season. And just like, I was so excited. I'd be like, I got to see that bird. Where's that bird? And I saw a whole group of them and I walked over and there it was. And it just made me happy. I just want that bird to be okay. You know? <laughs> Because when I first saw it, I was like, oh, no, I hope that bird's okay. I hope it doesn't die. Nope, that's just how the bird lives. He seems just to be living his best life, even though he's got, you know, a leg that doesn't work the same way. It's motivational. It is motivational. Anyway, that bird makes me happy. So that just tells you my life. (laughs) I'm out here communing with the birds. (laughs) So what's up with you? I had a moment... Was it yesterday, I think? So, you know, we're continuing production on my serapeptase supplement. And I've been saying the brand name, like when I talk about it on my other show and on the pre-order list. And so the guy I'm formulating it with was like, you do have the trademark, right? And I was like, no. And he's like, he's like, <laughs> he was like, you need to take down everything and get the trademark now. And that doesn't happen easily or quickly. Because I was headed out to something. I was like, I can do it tomorrow. He was like, you really need to do it now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so I, I learned really quickly. I think it's so interesting how you can learn like so much about like a niche topic really quickly if you have to. I got on like the trademark registration government website and learned a lot really, really quick. I didn't know this. You probably know this because you've registered. Wait, you've registered copyrights or trademarks? Well, I have copyrights. You know, they're they're two separate things. Obviously, you know this, but copyrights are for you know, like like my books. I've registered those. Trademarks are are different. I do have one trademark, and it is for delay, don't deny, is as a title in a series. Like you cannot register a trademark for a title of a book in isolation. People don't realize that. Yeah. So like, that's why there can be a million books out there all called Fast Feast Repeat that are, you know, put out by those people that are, you know, the copycats. And there's nothing we can do legally because you can absolutely use a title, but Delay Don't Deny because it's in a series like Chicken Soup for the Soul. You know, in order to, so in order to trademark it, I had to produce several different things. And so I did and got it trademarked, but it's not something that, t- that happens overnight. I mean, the process takes months. I would have thought you register the trademark before having the product, but to actually have the trademark, the product has to be created and in use, like being sold. Or you have to show that you're actively doing it or something. Yeah, yeah, basically. So like what I registered was intent to use. Right. But it's not official until I have a like specimen. <laughs> 
Exactly. And if you never have a specimen, you lose it. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll have a specimen really like pretty soon because we're really moving forward with the labels and the production and finalizing the formulation. So I'm not concerned about it. That was just so counterintuitive to me. I would have thought you register it before creation, but the officialness comes after. I guess it's to keep people from just like registering all all words. Oh, that does make sense. So you can't just like grab everything good. Sorry, you'll have to buy this from me because I have it registered, right? That completely makes sense. Because otherwise you would just register everything. Exactly. And then you would be like the wealthy and you would hold it. You would hold it. Yeah. 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 You can't. So at least thank goodness for that. So yeah. So that was exciting. So now I have like the document and it's just, it's very exciting. And today's Sunday. We should be getting back tomorrow, hopefully like the final word on the formulations and we're lab testing other companies to see what's actually in them. I'm just so, so excited. So I will say for listeners, my goal was to create a Serapap taste with no fillers, but we now we don't know if that's actually possible with the machines. And that's why we're lab testing the other companies because we don't believe they're actually doing it with no fillers. Like there's only, I mean, there's so many Serapap taste brands, but there's like two that make it seem like they don't have fillers, but we don't believe them. What, like what we've learned from like things they can say on the labels, I'm just learning so much. So rest assured, I promise my version of it will be like the cleanest, best version on the market that there is. So I'm very excited. I am not surprised at all about that. (laughs) So yeah, I'm going to make this one and then I'm going to make all the other things I'm taking. So for listeners, um, just really quick, listeners are probably familiar, but basically it's a serapeptase. It's a proteolytic enzyme. Created originally by the Japanese silkworm, you take it in the fasted state, it breaks down residual proteins in the body, so it can address, there's so much research on it. It can address inflammation, brain fog, fibroids, that's what Jen originally took it for. It breaks down amyloid plaque and Alzheimer's, it reduces cholesterol, it reduces fatty deposits, it makes antibiotics more effective so it can combat antibiotic resistance, it breaks down biofilms. It's literally just like a wonder supplement and you can just take it for daily use as well. So the link to get on the pre-order list, because I do anticipate that it will sell out, is melanieavalon.com slash serapeptase, S-E-R-R-A-P-E-P-T-A-S-E. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. Well, I'm glad. I know you've learned a lot, right? I've learned so much. That's one of the funnest parts of it all. Like I just love learning. So It, it really is. I love learning too. Yeah. I feel very empowered now to talk more, not with authority, because I don't want to say I'm an authority figure, but I can talk with more information and knowledge about the supplement industry. So yes. Well, that's always good. Yep. So shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. Let's get started. Okay. So to start things off, we have listener feedback. It's from Susan. The subject is feedback about doing IF as an intense exerciser. Susan said, Hi there, Melanie and Jen. First of all, I know everyone says this, but I am so thankful for finding your podcast and I've listened to every episode and it has had such an incredible impact on my life. I am 49, soon to be the big 50 in November, and I've been doing IF with a clean fast, of course, since January, 2020. I exercise five days a week, three runs ranging from 45 minutes to two hours and two intense one hour cross training sessions a week. I also walk for about an hour on top of this most days. 
My feedback to you is that my window each day ranges from 16.8 to 23.1, depending on the day and how I feel. I never eat before noon and always exercise in the mornings. So I just wanted to let you know that I feel better than I have ever felt exercising in the fasted state. I would never again eat before exercising. I just want to jump in and say, I agree so much. Yeah. Somebody in our community was just earlier this week was like, well, I it was working out and I got really, really sick and dizzy and shaky and I ate a salad right before I did the, the workout. I'm like, that's why. <laughs> you know, you didn't have enough to fuel the workout. Yeah. The idea of exercising, like the idea of exercising with food in my stomach is just very unappealing to me now. It just feels heavy and wrong. It's like, it feels so heavy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she says, I don't even feel hungry when I'm done. So I just eat when I get hungry. Even after a two hour run, I'm not experiencing any quote need for food. The funny thing is I used to always eat breakfast. I'm a whole food, healthy eater, which was oats with milk and cinnamon before my exercise. There were many days in my past that I would experience signs of low blood sugar, trembling, sweating, weakness, fuzzy brain, etc., and would have to stop exercising and have a quick bite so as not to faint. I have to say something about this. Circle back. I also did too. I just want to say that's exactly what the person said she experienced after eating before working out. It was that exactly. That exact same thing. Yes. Trembling, sweating, weakness, feeling sick. Yeah. So she says, I have not had one moment of this since starting IF. Best thing ever. Side note, I started IF because I had gained about 10 pounds and couldn't at the time figure out why since I hadn't changed anything in my routine or diet. I have since learned it was likely hormonal. I lost that weight easily, have maintained it easily, and the health benefits of IF are incredible, so I will never, ever stop this incredible lifestyle. I read your books, listened to all the podcasts, and I'm so thankful for you too. Yay, Susan! And I like this email a lot from Susan because... As listeners know, Jen and I are not regularly going on two-hour runs, so we can't really speak to that. It's nice to hear from people who do and and how they're performing well in the fasted state. So It really is. My little quick thing was I fainted this week, Jen. What? I've never fainted, not one time in my entire life. And the thing about it is, remember when we answered that question about giving blood and I was like, I was really hesitant because I had fainted once before drawing blood. Yeah. And that was 10 years ago. And I I have had my blood drawn so many times. So I thought I was over it. And I wasn't even having my blood drawn. I was getting an IV for glutathione and vitamin C for just, you know, health and wellness. And she couldn't get the IV in. Like she kept poking me and it wasn't working. And then she kind of like, I don't know, like poked me internally and it really hurt. And I thought I was fine. So she wasn't drawing any blood, but um, something about it just psyched out my, what's it called? The vasovagal? I guess so. Yeah. The vagal response. I started feeling nauseous. I was like, I think I'm going to faint. And what's funny is I don't even remember leading up to the fainting. She said she like tried to get me to drink water and I was like not having it. And (laughs) she don't even remember it. I remember feeling nauseous and I don't remember leading up to it. And then I just remember coming to and I was shaking, which is scary because then I was Googling like, seizures versus fainting. Because <laughs> um, yeah, apparently you, you can shake when you faint. It doesn't mean you're having a seizure. It's so scary. It's like really scary. The scary thing about it is it makes you realize just how not in control you are of your body with something, you know, like it's like if your body decides to faint, like there's nothing you can do. Like, <laughs> oh, that's true. The equivalent, if you haven't fainted, it's kind of like when you're put under for anesthesia, it just happens. And then you just wake up 
It's like that. So you haven't fainted? Never. <laughs> Are you surprised? <laughs> no, no. And now I'm just, I'm really hoping it doesn't spark. I felt like I would gotten over my fear response about fainting again it, ever since fainting 10 years ago. And I'm like, oh, now I'm going to be worried again every time I draw blood. That <sighs> So yes. Well, don't worry about it. Just uh, like go in there knowing it's not going to happen, right? Yeah, that's the mindset I've been having. And thankfully it wasn't during drawing blood. So, but if listeners would like to write in with their experiences, <laughs> so I feel not alone. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, I can imagine. It does seem like it would be the worst. It's just very scary. It's just very confusing because you like don't know what's happening. And then you feel like, and you really can't control it. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things like, I don't know, when I was growing up and we'd be like on stage singing with the chorus and someone would faint. Everybody was like, you remember how that would happen? Like they said it was because you locked your knees, then you would faint. I don't really know. So yeah, they're like, don't lock your knees or you'll faint. But people would faint on stage. And I'd be like, that looks so dramatic. I would like to faint. I mean, like when you see someone with crutches and everybody's signing their cast, you're like, I want to do that too. You're like, no, you really don't. But when you're a kid, you're like, that looks fun. I don't know. Now it sounds dumb. But you know what I'm talking about? Well, I always thought it looked so dramatic in movies, like when women would faint, you know, like, oh. And it's like, oh, wow, that's so poetic. (laughs) But yeah, it's not fun. (laughs) It's scary. No, I wouldn't wouldn't think so. And of course, my first thought was, I want my mother. (laughs) that's, That's always, I feel like, my first thought when anything traumatic happens. It's like the fear response. So all is well. Thankfully, it was with a nurse, obviously. And she said she, she said she knew I was about to faint. She was like, "There's not." She just knew it just had to happen. Like there's, <laughs> you know, nothing she could do. They know the signs, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, well, just gotta let this happen. Shall we go on to our next listener feedback? Yes, this is from Megan, and the subject is finally my own non-scale victory. She says, "Hi, Jen and Melanie. I've been doing IF for a little over a year now." but still struggle to do this consistently. Mainly, I struggle with an all-or-nothing mentality with a big dose of perfectionism thrown in. Oh, that's me. Well, you know, I totally get it. And when I was the gifted teacher and teaching the gifted endorsement classes to adult teachers who were you know, getting their gifted endorsement to teach gifted kids, we talked about perfectionism. And it really is true. You know, people who, you know, gifted kids are very likely to struggle with, with perfectionism. And it really is like, I won't do anything if I can't do it right kind of a mindset. So being able to understand that was really important for for teachers of the gifted. So anyway, yeah, that is a real thing. Like kids will throw a project away rather than turn it in because they don't want to turn in something that isn't perfect. I identify with that. I'm a good enougher. <laughs> I'm like, I did my best. It's good enough. Here you go. <laughs> anyway, but I, I totally do understand perfectionistic kids because, you know, we saw a lot of them over the years. I worked with lots of them. All right. So back to Megan's feedback. She says, I love listening to all of your podcasts and get so inspired by all of the success stories. But when I fail to have those same results, I get so discouraged. Am I the only person that struggles or for whom IF doesn't work? I've not been blessed with big weight loss results and up until recently, I couldn't come up with a single non-scale victory and felt discouraged. You know, I want to jump right in there real quick. And you know that saying, comparison is the thief of joy. You know, it really is true because we think everyone else is having better results than we are. And we can be like just so quick to throw in the towel. 
So I get it. I totally get it. And I'm not blaming anyone who feels that way because it's human nature to look around and and see what everybody else has and thinks, well, they're all doing it, you know, flawlessly. And here I am over here, you know. Anyway, I, I totally get it. She says, I am at high risk for type 2 diabetes due to family history. And besides wanting to look great in pictures, this is the main reason I'm drawn to IF. It just makes logical sense and is what keeps me devoted to this lifestyle. However, I will not say that I don't struggle with what is, quote, wrong with me when I hear success story after success story, but I am flying high today. I recently got blood work for a much overdue physical. Thank you, pandemic. And I am so thrilled with my results that I just had to write to you. Right before the pandemic in December 2019, my fasting glucose was 97. But now my glucose result was 86. I dropped 11 points. I can't stop smiling. This is the first non-scale victory that I can claim. I am currently 218 pounds down from 235 a year ago and still have a long way to go with weight loss. My window is 18.6, and I struggle with binging if I try to increase that to 24 or one meal a day. Until I got that test result, I would have sworn that I was broken, and IF just works for everyone except me, but no more. Keep up the wonderful work, and I will continue to be listening to all of your great success stories and knowing that finally, I have a victory to credit to this lifestyle too. Best wishes, Megan. Awesome. Well, I love hearing that from from Megan. I I really do feel like if people stick it out long enough, the non-scale victories will eventually come to them for most people. I think so too, but also know that there's still tweaking to be had. It sounds like Megan's been tweaking window length, but there's so many things you can tweak besides just window length. Yes. Like what you're eating. What you're eating. <laughs> I know you were going to say that, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Which it's very exciting because, you know, people can see changes with the fasting, but then there's this whole treasure trove of potential if they haven't, you know, touched at all the food choices. Like there's so much potential for amazing improvements. I think it's very empowering. Oh yeah. For people. Any other thoughts? No, I think that's it. I'm just really excited to hear about that wonderful non-scale victory with your, you know, seeing improvements in your fasted blood glucose. So that's huge. And just keep looking for other things and tweak those foods if you haven't. You know, shrinking your window is not always the right answer. Maybe a six-hour window, maybe even an eight-hour window and tweaking what you're eating just to see what feels right to you. So with the fasting glucose, I mean, it's incredible that it went down 11 points There is a lot of variability, though, in fasting glucose. I thought that and didn't want to say it because I didn't want to be a Debbie Downer. This can go either way, though, because it doesn't have to automatically be a Debbie Downer. I think it's just very important to know. I would encourage listeners to not evaluate the entirety of their progress based on just a single snapshot of blood glucose. Because if Jen and I have learned one thing with our... well blood glucose tests, but also our experience with continuous glucose monitors where we see our blood sugar basically continually for 24-7 for two weeks at a time is when you wear them. You really realize just how much your blood sugar can fluctuate from minute to minute even. It's crazy. So the reason this could be a Debbie Downer or it could be the opposite is, you know, it's possible that I mean, the Debbie Downer side of things would be that there actually isn't 
there actually isn't much change in your overall blood sugar levels, like your average blood sugar levels. Or it could be that last time when your blood sugar was 97, that that was actually lower than what it normally is. And that this 86 is actually higher than it normally is. You know, like there could be an actually even bigger difference, or it could be the opposite. It could be the opposite where actually, actually yours is a little bit higher than 86 now and actually was a little bit lower than 97 before. And really, it's really hard to know. You could get a continuous glucose monitor to look at things. We'll put links in the show notes to companies that provide access to those. You can check your A1C, which it'll give you a three-month picture of the level of glycation of your hemoglobin, which is affected by your average blood sugar levels. There are thoughts out there about its accuracy, but I think it does give a pretty good picture. And you could also look at other metabolic health factors. So since you are at high risk for type 2 diabetes, I would really, really suggest looking at the five markers of metabolic syndrome. And if you have three out of the five, you have metabolic syndrome. So one of them is high blood sugar. The others are low HDL, high triglycerides, the high blood sugar, abdominal obesity, and high blood pressure. So that would be something good to monitor your progress. Like how many of those do you have now? And how many do you have as you go forward? I'm surprised we haven't actually really talked about that before because I, I don't think we've talked about it much on this show, but that that really is like understood to be the marker of metabolic health. So yes. I, I thought of something I, I wanted to say and then I forgot to say it. When I suggested making your window even a little longer, that might have sounded crazy. But the reason that I said that, I didn't explain why, is because Megan says that she struggles with binging if she tries to increase her fast to 20 hours a day or if she tries to eat you know one meal a day, which I'm assuming she means in a really short window. And increased urge to binge over time is a sign that you are over-restricting for your body. So if you tend to over-restrict in a four-hour window or one meal a day, maybe you just are someone who is like a lighter eater. Like, you know, Melanie, you and I have both talked about we are not light eaters. We eat a lot of food. So that's why, you know, a shorter window, you know, a five-hour window is okay for me. I don't get that urge to binge with a five-hour window. But if you do, that may be a signal that your body perceives what you're doing as over-restriction. So for you, if you're a lighter eater, maybe an eight-hour window, you know, not like eating solid straight for eight hours, but, you know, maybe you need two meals within an eight-hour window, you know, one on each end of it for your body to feel happy and, and not send you the urge to binge. That's why... You know, every time someone asks me, like I just was interviewed for a podcast two days ago, and the person asked me, what is the best approach for intermittent fasting? And I'm like, there isn't one. There is no best. This is an example of that. You know, an eight-hour window is not right for me. I can eat too much in eight hours. I do if I eat for eight hours, you know, if I have an eight-hour window. But it might be right for somebody else. And even if a lot of people struggle to lose weight with an eight-hour window, that doesn't mean that it isn't the perfect window for somebody. I'm really glad that you elaborated on that. Well, good. I hope that made sense. It did. Good. It just people might be like, why did she say increase your window? That sounds crazy if someone's not losing weight. But, you know, if you're doing something that feels overly restrictive for your body, that could actually keep you from, you know, from losing weight because your body is like, I'm just going to stay right here. 
you can even vary it from day to day. Maybe one day, two meals in eight hours, the next day, you know, kind of like a loose up and down kind of pattern. Yeah. And on top of that, like the too restrictive could be a problem. And then on top of that, if you do struggle with a binging pattern, it kind of just exacerbates everything. So that could be, you know, a pattern that would really, really not be working for somebody. Right. Tweak it till it's easy. I've got a chapter called that in Fast Feast Repeat. And we are all very much a study of one. If you're feeling things like binging, that's a sign something's not working. If you're not losing any weight at all over you know a long period of time, that's a sign that something is still going on in your body. Now, it might be something that you haven't got your finger on yet, like hormonal or something else. You know, maybe your body is pulling fat out of a fatty liver. And I mean, there's so many things that could be going on. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It just means that you haven't discovered your weight loss sweet spot yet, or maybe your body's working on something more important. Exactly. All right. You ready to go on to the next one? Yes. So we have a question from, I think it's Emily. I would say Emily. That's a very pretty spelling of Emily. And the subject is BMI chart says, I am overweight. Should I care? And Emily says, Hey, Melanie and Jen, I've been IFing and listening to your podcast since the start of 2018. My health is great, and it's such a joy to no longer stress about gaining weight. I'm a lifelong athlete with a decent amount of muscle. I wear a size eight mediums and feel confident, healthy, and strong. My waist to hip ratio is 0.72, which is low health risk. I eat well, mostly plant-based, lots of daily harvest. That's what you love, Jen, right? I do love daily harvest, yes. Are they a sponsor on your other show? They are, which is so exciting because nothing makes me happier than when I love a product and then they become a sponsor because that's the order that it happened in. (laughs) We can put a link in the show notes. Do you have a discount code for them? Yes, I do. If you go to jenstevens.com on the favorite things tab, you can find it there. Okay, perfect. So lots of daily harvest with the occasional vegetarian pizza. I work out two to three times a week, cardio, dance, battle ropes, HIIT, and bar classes. I don't know what battle ropes is. Do you? Is that like jump roping where you battle? I don't know. I don't know, but it sounds really fun. (laughs) It's what I was sort of picturing. It's like... I don't know what it is, but there's these people holding (laughs) scary looking ropes and they're attached to the wall and they're moving them aggressively. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm imagining it. (laughs) Thank you, Emily, for teaching us something new. That sounds really fun. Like I might like to do battle ropes. I don't know. We're going to become battle rope champions. (laughs) I bet it's, you know, you're going to really increase your arm strength. That's something that I know I want to do it. (laughs) Okay. To-do list. I probably could not do it right now. I'm, I'd be like, whoops, I'm losing this battle. You know how different people focus on different parts of the body for like what is most aesthetically pleasing? I focus on arms. Like I am obsessed with arms. I think we talked about this before. I don't know, but I know what you mean. I like shoulders and yeah, I get it. So maybe this, maybe I should look into this. So she says, I don't count or track anything. And I would prefer to continue not tracking or counting. I'm 5'6 and usually around 159 pounds. This puts my BMI at 25.7, technically overweight. Should I focus on losing five pounds in order to get my BMI at a healthy range? Or should I continue my maintenance plan? Is BMI something to stress over? I'm worried that as an American, my idea of what, quote, overweight looks like is skewed. But according to the BMI chart, I am. 
Is this something I should focus on changing? If I'm content with how my body looks, feels, and works, should I try to change to get into that healthy range? Thanks so much, Emily. So I'm going to say, just ignore that BMI for yourself. (laughs) Here's why. You know, we've probably all read articles about how Olympic athletes are classified sometimes as obese based on their muscle mass. They have so much muscle and they're lean and they have a very low body fat percentage, but because the only thing BMI takes into account, body mass index, is your relationship between what the scale says and your height. That is it. That's it. So if you are very low body fat, very high amount of muscle, you you get on the scale and your relationship with gravity is that you you're you have a lot of mass, more mass, so your body mass index is higher thanks to all that muscle. It's not showing the true picture of your body and what your body composition is. So Really, your body fat percentage is a much better indication versus BMI. Now, BMI isn't like totally awful for everybody. It can be a a good rough estimate for some. But if you are really, really muscular, it is not going to be very accurate for you. For you, though, your waist-to-hip ratio of 0.72 is a much better indication that you are lean. And so I would just focus on your waist-to-hip ratio and know that you are athletic and healthy and BMI is not accurate for you. Because, you know, as soon as you see that Olympic athletes are obese and they're, they're not because their body fat percentage is so low, you realize that it's, it's very, very imperfect. There is a BMI calculator that's I just want to throw out there. It's not really as relevant in Emily's case. But have you ever gone to the Smart BMI Calculator, Melanie, smartbmicalculator.com? I think I may have talked about it before. Is that where you add in measurements that go with it? It has to do with more like your age and things like that. It, it just, it's just basically, it, it re, it's rethinking the BMI, smartbmicalculator.com. Okay. You don't put any measurements in? No, you just put your, your height and your weight and your age. It just gives you a more accurate calculation based on your age and, and where you might fall within there. Gotcha. Yeah, we can put a link to in the show notes. Jen pretty much said it. The important thing really there is what is that weight made of? So is it fat or is it muscle? And so even like I was just mentioning before the the metabolic syndrome, it's not just obesity that is one of the factors, it's abdominal obesity. So it's a certain type of fat even that is correlated to the health issues. So ascertaining what your weight is made of, which, I mean, we can't assume, but it sounds like from all of her activity levels that it probably is muscle. And um, especially with her health factors, she could do something like a DEXA scan, which would more likely show your muscle composition. The the only potential problem with that is that it, it can even be misleading if you are on a ketogenic diet. I was just reading about this last night because it still measures based on water and things like that. And Really? Yeah. Low-carb diets can play around with that. The study I was reading last night was saying the issues with the DEXA scan and what you need to do instead, which was, I don't know if it was stuff that was available. They were doing it in the study. So like in this study, for example, they talked about the um, potential issues with DEXA. So in this study, they used DEXA as well as an MRI. That's not something that's really accessible. An MRI to assess visceral adipose tissue mass 
and thigh skeletal muscle cross-sectional areas. They also looked at nitrogen balance and something called 3-methylhistidine, which measures, I think, the turnover of lean mass to look at protein metabolism in this study. So, because I think DEXA is the thing that's most accessible to the lay people, but just a note that if you're on a low-carb ketogenic diet, there might be a slight issue with that. I think there are formulations online that look at measurements to find out your body composition. So doing those, I still would recommend the DEXA. Looking at your metabolic health and all of that should give you a much better picture of everything. Yep. I think so too. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, Literally every single day of my life, I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near-infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Shall we go on to our next question? Yes. 
This is from Jenny, and the subject is boosting ketones. Jenny says, what do you ladies think about using BHB or exogenous ketones to get an energy boost and promote faster ketosis? I've been using them about a month now and wondered if there is any real benefit and when you recommend using them. Thanks. Your show is awesome. Gosh, it's been a long time since we've had a question about ketones. Also in the communities, like like for a while, like that's all everybody was asking. And I mean, I can't think of the last time someone has asked about them. I thought they were like gone for good. I was hoping they were. <laughs> I got really excited because I had that exact response as you, Jen. I was like, oh, it's like, oh, I haven't even really looked into this in forever. I thought that everyone was like, all right, we're done with those. Let's move on. But I think they're still there. I went on a really, really deep rabbit hole research on this. And I went in completely open-minded because I did have that same response as you, Jen. So I was like, you know what? What does the latest research say? I don't know. Maybe it's going to be super supportive and maybe I'll walk away being like, I should take these. I did not walk away thinking that. No, I've, I've researched it before and always the answer is no. <laughs> I will tell you what I found. And I, I only looked at really recent studies. So 2020 or 2021, I wanted to look at three things, actually four things. So physical performance, the mental stress performance, weight loss, and then health, like a specific health issues. So like, did it have health benefits, right? Is that what you're saying? So like, would it like therapeutically, if you had a specific disease, would it be beneficial? That's what I meant. Yeah. So what did she call them? Because they're different types. She called it BHB. BHB or exogenous ketones. Yeah. Yeah. Beta hydroxybutyl rate. Is that what it is? Did I say it right? Out of my brain? Yeah. So basically with a ketogenic diet or fasting, we can create ketones endogenously. So our body makes them. Exogenously is when you're just taking preformed ketones. So this is different than MCT oil that we talked about before or we, that we talk about a lot. MCT oil easily becomes ketones, but it's not like a literal ketone, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's not one yet. It can be made into one. It's just, it, it's a fat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the two forms that people supplement with are ketone esters and then BHB salts. So she was asking about the BHB salts. The ketone esters seem to be what create a, a higher elevation in ketone levels in the body. So I looked at different studies. The weight loss study I looked at used salts. The exercise performance one I looked at, oh, it also used salts. I'm not sure if I looked at any specifically with the esters, but regardless, what I thought was really interesting, some quick takeaways, and then I'll go into the specifics. So it seems that there are some factors at play when you take exogenous ketones. And in the beginning, so in the weight loss study that I looked at, it was a six-week study. In the beginning, the people that took the exogenous ketones, and the setup of that study, by the way, was they had people, it was a calorie-restricted diet in obese patients. They had people doing a ketogenic diet without exogenous ketones, a ketogenic diet with exogenous ketones, and then a low-fat diet. And then all the participants ate the same amount of calories. So the low-fat people, were there two groups for them as well, some with ketones and some not? Or they just, none of them got ketones? None of them got ketones. I wanted them to do that. I know. That was, it seems just a little incomplete. Yeah. But they were actually using the low-fat diet as like a sort of control. Yeah. 
which is interesting. That That's weird. That's so weird. So weird. I know. I was like, oh, I, I thought that'd be a really cool setup to have. Yeah. Now I'll have to, after this, I took so many notes. I realized, I think I want to write a blog post on this because I mean, I, I spent a few hours researching this and I was like, there's so much. So I'm just going to talk about the takeaways that I found, but I might do an even deeper dive into it because it was really, really interesting. But so in that study, for example, what they were trying to look at was does taking exogenous ketones help preserve muscle mass? Um, something they started out with, by the way, was they hypothesized that because apparently some studies show a loss of muscle on ketogenic diets, but they hypothesized that's because those ketogenic diets don't have enough protein and or don't have enough sodium electrolytes. Or maybe they just were of short duration and the people weren't fat adapted yet. You know, I think that could also be a factor. I agree. So in this study, they thought they would find that adding the exogenous ketones would help preserve muscle mass. What they found, they did not find that. (laughs) There was a non-significant trend towards better muscle mass retention in the ketogenic diet with the exogenous ketones, but it wasn't significant. So so basically it was like a tiny little bit of a difference, but not significant. And then on top of that, and this is why I was saying at the beginning about the two weeks. So interestingly, in the initial two weeks, having the exogenous ketones did for the ketone group, it raised their body ketones higher. But by the end of the six weeks, there wasn't any difference between the ketogenic diet with the ketones and the ketogenic diet without the ketones. So that makes me think that the reason it was higher early on is because obviously they're taking ketones, right? They're measuring the ketones that they're taking in. But the fact that they didn't stay higher means that the people that were on the ketogenic diet without the exogenous ketones made their own ketones from stored body fat Whereas the people who were taking the ketones, it just stayed constant from the ones they were taking rather than making their own. Yeah. My thoughts were that something along those lines, and I need to look at the charts and see what happened with the actual ketone levels, but basically their thoughts, which was my thoughts, which is a little bit different than yours, but I was like, it's funny. My initial thought is what their thought was, but I had what you just said, like in the background (laughs) as like, the other idea, but I wasn't like really thinking about it. They were saying that basically there's just a very intense regulation of like the ketone levels in the body. And so regardless of the factors that are contributing to it, in the end, your body's going to maintain a certain level. Think about it though. That means that you're not making them. Like if you're trying to maintain within this small range, if you're continually taking them in, you don't need to make them. And the magic isn't in having the ketones, it's in making them from our stored body fat. We want to do that. So that's actually the question, like, where's the magic? Because the reason other people, researchers are really interested in exogenous ketones for therapeutic benefits is, oh, this is perfect because I have a perfect quote about this. Oh, and by the way, I wasn't talking about therapeutic benefits like Alzheimer's. Yeah, I was talking about for fat loss. That's what I was going to like say. I wanted to clarify the magic. So like in our context of what we were just talking about, the magic of them would be from burning body fat. And this is why I needed to break it down into different categories. There are people looking at exogenous ketones for therapeutic health effects. And that's where the question comes in of, you know, is there an extra 
benefit there. But there's this amazing quote. So this is from a study appropriately enough called exogenous ketones as therapeutic signaling molecules and high stress occupations implications for mitigating oxidative stress and mitochondrial dysfunction in future research. It's a 2020 study. Okay. I feel like the vibe, I'm going to get really casual in my my words, but like the vibe of that article or study was basically, I feel it really kind of encapsulated the way I think exogenous ketones are because it was a lot of theory. It was basically like, you know, we see all these benefits of the ketogenic state. So there should be, there's this potential that taking them exogenously would have all these health benefits, but then they, they just don't have any studies. They had like one study and they were saying like in the future, we would like to see more studies, but they're just, there's not a lot of research on it. And then they even said, and this is what we were just talking about. They said, current speculation suggests that it would be incorrect to assume that exogenous ketones mimic the robust mitochondrial environment induced from an adhering to a ketogenic diet. Boom. <laughs> or a ketogenic lifestyle with fasting. Yeah. So basically all the benefits you're getting from this mitochondrial state of a ketogenic diet is not the same thing as taking. Yeah. And like everything that happens from that is not the same thing as taking them exogenously. But then they do say, however, data are limited in human trials, specifically as it relates to the effects of ketone bodies on inflammation and oxidative stress markers. They basically say there's not really research on it. And by the way, can I clarify something I said that I know I didn't say very clearly? When I say a ketogenic fasting lifestyle, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily eating keto and doing fasting because fasting itself is ketogenic. I just wanted to clarify that. So anybody who's you know fasting long enough is going to get into ketosis, even if you do not eat you know, keto style in your eating window. Exactly. Like to clarify more that, that quote about the like mitochondrial state, basically like when you enter the, the ketogenic state, it's not even just that your body's creating these ketones. And so, and this is me just, I'm not a scientist or anything, but just from what I've read, I don't think it's so much that that there's like this extra magic to an endogenously created ketone versus an exogenously created ketone. It's just that the entire context that leads up to an endogenously created ketone, so like making the ketones yourself, the whole system in your body is working differently. So like you're changing, it's kind of like if you had a factory that created ketones (laughs) In one situation, you have changed the entire workings of the factory to create those ketones all by itself compared to a factory that actually isn't that good at creating ketones. And you kind of just like come in and like put ketones on the belt, like, and it's not actually making them. You're not getting all of the benefits to how that factory is working. Like, there's so many other benefits from what leads to the creation of those ketones. Can I share my analogy that I haven't said in a long, long time because we haven't had a question about it? To me, the very best way of thinking about it is taking exogenous ketones is like spraying yourself with sweat and thinking you worked out. Because, you know, working out is where the benefits are, not the fact that you're sweating. I mean, sweat, the actual act of sweating is, you know, a detoxification thing. The working out that caused you to sweat is good for your body. But the sweat itself is not the goal. And the same can be said with the ketones. 
Yeah. And like an extension of that analogy was, cause I think there, I, I just don't, I don't know, but there might be a place for exogenous ketones, but I think it would be very specific health conditions. Like, like for example, epilepsy. Yeah. Where due to that health condition, like it's kind of like with a sweat analogy, maybe there's a person who can't really produce sweat or can't produce enough sweat and they're in the desert and it's like this and you're really hot. And if I spray you with sweat, you'll have a benefit, right? <laughs> but it's not the same as if you worked up a sweat yourself. Exactly. And can I say one thing about Jenny's question? She said that she's using them to get an energy boost. Well, it's because it's energy. You're taking in energy. You know, if you ate a cookie, you'd have an energy boost too, but it's not what you want. So I'm glad you brought that up. Like to that point, the weight loss study for the group that took the ketones. I think they said it added around like 120 calories. So they had to adjust for that for the other, you know, they didn't just add it. They had to, they had to reduce the calories of, of the food that they ate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bummer. So they also had to eat less because they're taking in energy. Yeah. That should tell you something. (laughs) So Jenny, we have good news and bad news. The bad news is, and I'm not even done. You don't need the ketones. Oh, okay. But the good news is you don't have to pay for them anymore. You can get them for free. That's the good news. The good news is we are saving you money right now. Stop buying ketones. Make your own ketones. Yeah, exactly. I thought you were done. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, it's just one more thing. I, I want to talk about the exercise performance, which relates to what you just talked about. So this is perfect. One last thing about the weight loss study. So the title of the study was the effects of a six-week controlled hypocaloric ketogenic diet with and without exogenous ketone salts on body composition responses. But something I did want to pop in there just because it dismantles something we talk about, you know, occasionally on this show. And that's with the whole ketogenic diet. There's this idea that you have to be in ketosis to lose weight, which is not true. So the low-fat diet in this study, they all lost around the same amount of weight and the low fat diet never went into ketosis. So yeah. Although you could go into ketosis on a low fat diet. You could. Yeah, you could. I'd have to look at it again. They definitely didn't go to the level of the other two of the ketogenic diet. The last thing I was going to talk about was exercise performance, which relates to Jenny's question. So this is a study from 2020 called Effects of an Exogenous Ketone Supplement on 5-Kilometer Running Performance. So this study looked at recreational runners and their endurance running and the effects of taking exogenous ketones. And these people were not on a low-carb or ketogenic diet. So they were eating a normal diet. They took either exogenous ketones before a five-kilometer run or they took a placebo drink that tasted the same but didn't have any ketones in it. And they wanted to see if it affected their performance, if it affected their perceived exertion, if it affected their energy levels. What I liked about the study was they also summarized all the other research to date. So this was 2020. And they talked about all the other studies to date that also looked at this general concept. And in their summary, they said that to date, so this was up until 2020, one trial showed exercise improvements, three trials showed neutral effects, and two trials showed negative effects with exogenous ketone supplementation. So that is not looking good for (laughs) exogenous ketone supplementation and performance. In this study, they found basically 
no difference between using the ketones or not using the ketones. Eight people who um, took the ketones had a non-significant faster time, but it wasn't significant. So like there wasn't that much of a difference and two of them had a slower time. And then the perceived exertion, so like how they felt was there was no difference in, in really anything. So it really, really looks like exogenous ketones. I mean, if they were really magical and amazing, they would not have petered out like they have. People would just be taking them more and more and more and having amazing results. And they would be speaking for themselves, kind of like fasting is doing, how fasting is continuing to grow and grow and grow. Exactly. Like the complete opposite. Right. But I haven't heard, like, neither of us have heard of any questions about these for a long time because, bum, 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 it was just another thing they could sell you. Yeah. I already said it, but I'm going to say it again. Like, their summary of all of the studies to date that looked at basically athletic performance and exogenous ketones, there was one. So, up until 2020, there was six of them. Only one showed improvement, three showed neutral and two show negative effects. That is not a good rate. The very last thing, I don't know which study it was in, but I thought this was really interesting. So one of the studies found that it was, I don't don't even remember what, what it was testing, but it found that how people responded to exogenous ketones depended on their metabolic health. So like the people who had issues with like their pancreas and their blood sugar regulation and all of that did not had the same beneficial effects when they took the exogenous ketones, which to me kind of, and this is just my thoughts on it, but to me it says it's that whole energy toxicity thing. Like if your body's not handling energy well and you have too much energy, the last thing I think you want to do is be putting in pure energy. Not that it's the same thing as sugar, but I mean, it's energy. It's energy for the body. Yeah. I just have one more final thought that I wanted to say. The main people who are super big fans of exogenous ketones are the people who want to sell them to you. So always think think about that. If the person who like is extolling the benefits also wants to sell them to you, then they've got a reason to tell you they're awesome. You don't hear people who are not trying to sell them to you talk about how great they are. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. I think it was, I don't want to misquote, but I think I'd have to go back and look, but it was definitely something about the metabolic health. I wrote a note that said high blood sugar, that they had less of a beneficial response to exogenous ketones, but it was definitely the idea that if you're in a state of high energy, you want to make your own ketones. <laughs> you don't want to um, be taking them. I'm so glad that you did that deep dive on the most recent information, you know, because it's been a long time since we talked about it, maybe like 2019 or something. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. But it wasn't even out yet. I know. I'm so glad you didn't find the other and prove that they're amazing. (laughs) But, you know, they're not. So (laughs) if I did, I went in completely open-minded. You would have told the truth. You would have told the truth. I know you would have. Yeah. Honestly, if, I mean, if it had, (laughs) if it said that they're great, I probably have been like, "Hmm, maybe I will make my own ketones. There you go. And you would start taking them. Yeah. So it was almost shocking how much there's just not support for this. The only caveat, and I, to be honest, I didn't even go down this rabbit hole because there's just too much there and and the studies are so like niche. So it might be for very specific health conditions, there might be a place for it. So I encourage listeners, if they're interested in ketones and they have a very specific health condition, epilepsy, even, I don't know, I didn't research for the cancer connection. I probably will because I want to do a blog post on this, but you know, some cancers, 
I don't know, but I would encourage you to go on Google Scholar and look up your health condition and look up exogenous ketones and see if there's research on it because there might be a benefit there. But yeah, what really shaped my early thinking about it was hearing a podcast. And you know, I don't listen to very many podcasts ever, <laughs> but it was Dr. Mark Matson from Johns Hopkins, and he's a you know neurological expert, you know, brain stuff. I could not pull out who he was talking to or, or find the source, but I remember I was when I was still teaching, so it was probably 2017 to 2018, because I remember listening to it on the way to school, and I was like at bus duty trying to secretly keep listening to it <laughs> while no one could tell that I was listening to this while also doing bus duty. <laughs> but it because I was so interested in it because people were asking all the time, and I really wanted to learn, you know, the truth before I just started, you know, giving out advice, just like you just did. And he was like very skeptical of taking in ketones in that way, just because that's not something we ever naturally do. They do not exist in nature in a way that you can consume them. He's like, you know, metabolically, we don't even really know what they're in there doing because that's not something you can go out and, and have some. He said he could imagine some biological pathways that made them actually harmful in the body, not just not helpful, but harmful. I've even thought that a little bit about the MCTs, and this is like the next step from that. So. It's just, yeah, it's, you know, it's not something you're naturally ever going to take in in, in your daily life. It's like, like, what are you going to do? I mean, drain someone's blood and drink them. I mean, no, don't do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you would accidentally take some in, but, you know, there's no source of them around you naturally occurring is my point. Yeah. I'm glad we had that conversation. Yeah, me too. It was fun. I'm glad you did that deep recent dive and came to the same conclusion that we came to a long time ago. It's almost funny reading, like I said, the one that was looking at using it for stress. I don't know what's like driving it because they clearly really, you know, have a lot of hope for the therapeutic potential, but they're just not finding that in studies. So I don't know. Well, you know, you have a theoretical, like this could be so great because, and then you want to find support for that. And then it's disappointing not to. Yeah. So yes. So Jenny, save your money. Woo! I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone save your money. And if someone wants to sell you something that said that for fasting, tell them no on that too. <laughs> exactly. All right. So this has been absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for this show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. Or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens. The show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 236. And they will have a full transcript and they will also have links to all of the things, all of those studies we talked about, everything. All right. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. I'm going to go out and walk on the beach some more. And my biggest question for the rest of the day is, do I eat the food I have here in the fridge or do I go out to eat? I haven't decided. There's a place that has like a really good steak. And for some reason, I'm craving a steak. Oh, I think that's very telling. It's probably a nutrient in the steak that you... But then I'm like a little feeling lazy. Like I don't want to get in my car and drive down there and eat a steak, but... You're right. Okay, see, you just answered my question. I'm glad I asked it. <laughs> I'm going to go eat a steak and a, and a baked potato. Yeah, I would eat the steak. I know, I know. 
That's that's where my plate went different from yours. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna drink a non-alcoholic beer and look at the water and eat a steak and have a baked potato. Now I'm really excited. I would drink wine. Yeah, let's say I'm driving. So I won't. Well, have a fun time. Thank you. Oh, the next episode for listeners teaser is special. And I'm not going to be on it, which is weird because I'm going to be out of town. Yes. Should we say who it is? Actually, listeners probably know. I think I mentioned it. Yeah, we're going to have Rob Wolf. This has only happened one other time before when I was out of town and we had a special guest coming on and I couldn't be there for it. But this is another example of that. And so, yeah, Rob Wolf. Melanie, fangirl person. (laughs) I'm such a fan. So we're going to do a deep dive into electrolytes and anything else that you guys want to ask Rob. So love it. And I'll be in Arizona and I'm so excited. I know. I'm excited too. So I will talk to you week after next. I know, two weeks, and I'll tell you about my trip to Arizona. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I will talk to you then. Safe travels. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. The music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.